Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And welcome back to Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams, joined from up in the Boston area by Chris Lynch once again. This is part two of our season preview. We're going to touch on the East. I know we talked about the Atlantic last week, but we mostly talked about Air Force, who I think we can all agree, not in the East, really. So it was more of a Western feel to the first part. And now we're going to come back East with the ECAC and hockey East conferences we both know a ton about coming from the Boston schools ourselves, Northeastern here, BU there. And it's going to be an exciting year in these Eastern conferences because they are wide open in a way where it's, it's extremely hard to handicap them. Chris, happy hockey season. It's a beautiful time. We're recording this on uh, on the third of October. The uh, I'll be glued to my television watching the Bruins play the Capitals when they uh, they raise their banner tonight. I think this will probably go up a little bit after that game happens. So it's uh, it's a happy season, and it already feels like it outside here. I'm sure that where you are down in the Florida area, it's all nice and sunny and enjoyable. Up here, it's overcast misty rainy kind of not brilliant all you need to do is lower the temperature a little bit there's snow on the ground and bambingo bambango hockey time so it it feels like it's the right time of year to start playing this sport so that's exciting happy hockey my friend and happy covering the lightning for another round for what should be a great team this year yeah, I've been working on my lightning preview the last couple of days for Sports Talk Florida, and it is, it's going to be an exciting season, and they're an exciting division right now. You mentioned the Bruins, the Maple Leafs are also very good, so that's going to be, for a regular season, I know with more than half of the league making the playoffs, it's not like college hockey where the regular season eliminates some really good teams. But it's going to be fun to see who wins that division and who ends up with the tough matchup in the first round in the Eastern Conference, because I think that's a real loaded division. But we're getting astray a bit. We need to get back to the college hockey world, because when we start talking about Hockey East, I think we can go on for quite a bit. And that's why, in all fairness, we have to start with the, again, wide open, anyone could win this ECAC hockey this year. It could be a great year for the Ivy League schools in particular. 
Yeah, I think you had mentioned last year that you thought the Ivy Leagues were going to make a great big comeback, and I was a little bit more skeptical, but uh, it turned out that three of the four teams in last season's uh, ECAC Final Four up in Lake Placid were Cornell, Princeton, and Harvard, with the uh, only other one being Clarkson, which kind of feels like an Ivy League school, even though it absolutely isn't. It's a fine uh, it's a fine quality school, but the Ivy Leagues do separate themselves a bit. They definitely did. And uh, the Universal, the, there are two favorites who top pretty much every poll I've seen from the ECAC coaches poll, the uh, the national ones, my own preview, which isn't isn't up yet at, at the time of this recording. It should be up uh, tomorrow, and uh, we'll promote that and we'll share that around. But the two favorites are Cornell at number one and Princeton at number two. Beyond them, you could fill out the most of the rest of the ECAC rankings however you want, but it's really the Big Red and the Tigers in that order are universally agreed that these two probably should be listed as the favorites moving forward for this year. Yeah, it's going to be a big year, especially for Cornell. They had a great season last year, and they're looking to build on it with another one this year. And they are, if there are favorites in this conference, I'd agree they are co-favorites along with Princeton, who is going to be a real loaded squad. And just a couple of years ago, we were talking about this team as a sort of also ran in college hockey. And yet here they are with, they, they're going to have really an interesting squad, the Tigers this year. I mean, they've got the two highest scoring players returning from last season's remarkable run in which it felt like watching them for a lot. They were offense, 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 offense. I mean, Max Verano and Ryan Kuffner are certainly high caliber gunners. Verano was the second leading scorer in the country. He had 55 points. Mind you, he did so in a couple fewer games just because um, Ivy League schools start a bit later. And by the way, I actually asked Coach Ted Donato of Harvard why that is, and he explained that the Ivy League has separate rules for when they are allowed to start playing their sport. So it's Ivy League-specific sanctions. All of the teams would rather that change so that they could play more games, so they could be more into it. But the Ivy League has specific scheduling rules for uh, for everything that they possibly could do. So Veronel, with 17 goals and 38 assists, uh, the 38 were the second most in the nation last season. The points were the second most and also in the nation last year. He was one of the leading guys, and his his man Ryan Kuffner is coming back for another round of this as well. So they've got the top line that can strike fear into the heart of most defenses. And they actually have a goaltender who grew into the role of championship contender, Ryan Furland, who in the two final four games in Lake Placid, he only gave up one goal each to top ranked Cornell. And then Clarkson, who was a beast offensively last season, and by the way, should be again this year. So they have the pieces returning to make another run at it. And it's a shame because of that Ivy League scheduling, we are not going to get to see the Princeton Tigers until October 26. But when they start, they're going to start with a bang and show just how good they are in what should be 
a really fun match to watch. They start off at Penn State. And then the next week, Friday, November 2nd, they're in a matchup that talk about teams that we thought of as also Rams, who suddenly we think of as possible contenders. They're at Dartmouth on November 2nd. And Dartmouth is a really fun and fascinating team to talk about this year as well. Yeah, I'm seeing Dartmouth as a very popular upset choice. And in part, I think that stems from how well they did last season when teams, I think, look past them a bit. And uh, I think thought, uh, you know, we can kind of overlook this uh, this whole unit. It's uh, It's a team from the Ivy League that isn't Harvard because Harvard was, I think, for a while, the team that represented the Ivy League and represented it very well. The standard bearers for most of this decade in the ECAC have been Harvard, Union, and Quinnipiac. And pretty much everyone else from the Ivy League, Cornell had a, had successful years, but Dartmouth was viewed as a team that you can look past. They went out to Denver last year. They lost one nothing in their first game against the reigning national champs and then beat them in the second game 5-4 on the road. And they put on a very strong performance in the Ledger Bank Classic, which is their Christmas tournament that they host at Thompson Arena, in which they uh, forced Minnesota Duluth to a shootout. They ended up losing in that shootout, but they forced another one of the nation's best teams to a standstill and beat Clarkson on the road. This is a team that earned a lot of favor last season with people, myself in general, uh, myself as well. I think Bob Gadette has a pretty good group of people uh, up in up, up there. I just wonder what they'll do in the goaltending department because they had Devin Buffalo, which, by the way, keep your eyes out for some of these names uh, that you'll see in college hockey because they're great and they're beautiful and they're awesome. But Devin Buffalo is no longer a part of Dartmouth's team, so they've got three goaltenders to choose from. And, well, as of yet, I don't know exactly who they chose, and that's the biggest question I see. But everything else with them, I could see them having a good time and making a pretty good go of it. And they get, uh, you know, I could definitely see them making some more noise this season. And speaking of ECAC teams that wear a lot of green, Clarkson could be a fun team to watch as well and could be a tough out in the ECAC. They look to be another one of those teams just lurking behind the favorites that could end up, we we could end up in a couple of months just thinking, how did we miss this team coming into the season? Where did this team come from? They've got a good squad up there. They're almost starting to catch up with that extremely well-decorated women's squad they have at Clarkson. I mean, they were kind of like that as well last season, I feel like. Uh, We kind of regarded them as a team that could do some stuff, but don't really count on them to do a whole lot. I could definitely see them repeating, particularly they have their star goaltender, Jake Kiley, coming back. He almost single-handedly won them a bunch of games. He almost pushed them through Providence and got them to their first Hockey East championship game in pretty close to it, in over a decade, actually. It was from 2007 was the last time that uh, that they made it that deep before uh, last season and before barely, barely losing 
So I could definitely see them making making a uh, a pretty good run at it. Devin Brousseau is back for another round. Nico Sturm is a pretty promising player. I like what I saw out of Jack Jacome, who's a small guy with some speed. Harold's Eggle, uh, his last name, number 18 on the team, Harold's, and his last name is spelled E-G-L-E. I'm very, very sorry for probably butchering your name. Uh, I'll figure out how to pronounce at some point. I just know that you're a good hockey player. So uh, I think my dad actually saw some highlights of them and noted, these guys look like the University of Vermont. Also, my dad is from Vermont, so uh, he mixes the two of them up. That's just a little side thing. Uh, yeah, it's an interesting unit that uh, that they've got up there. I think they'll they'll be in the keep your eye on them uh, category for uh, for the season this year. And what seems to be a habit for ECAC teams, they start off at Penn State for a weekend series October 11th and 12th. Penn State getting a lot of tough ECAC opponents early. That'll be fun, too, to see Clarkson at Penn State in Pegula Ice Arena. It'll, it'll, be a tough, it'll be a test for their defense because Penn State always is, but it should be a fun one. I think it should be. I mean, those matchups, the Big Ten matchups are fun. Uh, it's, a pr- it's probably a pretty good idea for you to get some travel time under your belt. And also, you better win these out-of-conference matchups. And Penn State's an interesting opportunity for them to face a completely different style. But one that I think they can handle. I just wonder how they'll adjust without having Sheldon Rempel, who was uh, their leading guy uh, last season on the offensive side of things. Uh, I just wonder, and he was, uh, he was an All-American last year. I just wonder how exactly they're going to adjust without him, but I think they've got enough to uh, uh, to keep up the offensive attack. I, I keep pointing out these out-of-conference schedules because I think especially in the ECAC where these Ivy teams play the shorter, more condensed schedule – these out-of-conference games are really going to matter in the standings in a tight conference. And that's where I think the early advantage is probably going to go to Cornell. They start against Michigan State at home. That They play a couple exhibition matches at home before that, but then they start with Michigan State. And even on our Eastern preview, I can fit in a poor Sparty there. They play Northern Michigan, who's a tough opponent. Northern Michigan out of the WCHA is no slouch, and they'll give them quite a handful, especially as Northern Michigan will be at home on November 9th and 10th for those. But really advantage Cornell in this out-of-conference schedule. It's It's not quite as strong or at least as formidable early when we know nothing about college hockey yet. But... They they could really get through that, maybe unbeaten. And if they do that, that could be the edge in such a tight conference. I could definitely see that. Um, the Michigan State matchup is uh, is, a, is an interesting deal, especially since it's at Ithaca, in Ithaca, I should say. And from everyone I've heard, I've not been there yet. I've not been up to Cornell, but everyone I've heard talk about it says that it's a special experience and a special place to uh, uh, to get to see a hockey game. It's it's what you think of when have you have you read Ken Dryden's book, The Game? 
I, a while ago. Okay. He talks about growing up in uh, uh, as a kid playing hockey up in Canada, and he talks about this image of parents and people from around the town piling into their cars, lines in, going into and from the uh, from the hockey rink at all hours of the night, and it being almost a religious experience kind of deal. From everyone I've talked to, a game at Cornell is exactly that image. It's a beautiful display of uh, ye olde times in hockey. And by the way, uh, I'd highly, highly, highly recommend a reread. Or if you never have, read the game. It's one of the best uh, by Ken Dryden. It's one of the best sports books ever written. It's one of the best. So I think you're right on uh, on the the Sparty matchup being in favor of Cornell, especially in Ithaca. They then get Yale and Brown. It's uh, two teams that I think just that matchup favors Cornell. That Northern Michigan trip is their first time away from home. And keep in mind, they were Northern Michigan. They hosted the WCHA championship game last year and were a couple bounces away from playing in the NCAA tournament last year before Michigan Tech upended them. That's a very good team that should be another tight matchup again. But I got I take a look at Harvard's schedule early on, and I just can't help but feel as though they might have – I think Harvard has the easiest schedule out of anyone in, uh, in the conference this year of the top contending teams. And I know they've gone through some transitions, but I still feel like – Harvard really has the easiest total package schedule this year. Yeah, Harvard has they they get Princeton somewhat early on November third. That'll be a real test for them, and they're at Dartmouth, which, as we mentioned, that's going to be a tough game. That'll that'll actually tell us a lot about the ECAC on October twenty seventh, the first regular season game for Harvard. They play at Dartmouth. That's going to be fun. That's going to be quite a matchup. So that'll tell us quite a bit about the middle of the ECAC, or at least what we see as the middle coming into the season, which of course will mean nothing within a month. But they get Princeton on November 3rd at home. That's going to be a good game. Then they take a while. They get Arizona State at home in their non-conference schedule. They do have to, of course, play in the bean pot, which is always tough. They're scheduled against Boston college in the first round on February 4th. They also play BU at home on January 8th. So they do draw some tough teams, but they do have a pretty favorable schedule. And that's a really well coached team. Of course, Ted Donato has done so great as Harvard's just running that program and taking them from what they had become back to a title contender the way they used to be in as late as 1993. Oh yeah. It's a remarkable uh, job that he's done to they've been to the ECAC final four each of the last four seasons. And only last year was their first miss uh, their first time missing the NCAA tournament in, I think three years or so. Um, It'll be an interesting adjustment period for him because he had, I think the most talented player in Ryan Donato, who if he wouldn't have played in the Olympics and wouldn't have been outstanding with Team USA, I genuinely feel that Harvard would have won a few more games 
in their schedule in the ECAC might have made the NCAA tournament, and uh, and he might have. I don't know if he would have ultimately wrestled away the uh, the Hobie Baker from Adam Gaudet, but I think he would have given a tighter fight. But Ryan is playing for the Bruins now. Merrick Madsen, who was their goaltender for a while, is no longer there. And also, on that coaching side, Paul Pearl, who is a guy who I noted uh, – we talked about this in a past edition of this podcast – I noted him as a guy who I'd like to see get a chance at a head coaching bid. He didn't get that chance, but he did move across the river to BU to be Albie O'Connell's new assistant coach. So I think Harvard does have enough talent, and of course Donato is still coaching, and the younger brother Jack Donato, who's the uh, I think second in that, yeah, he's the second in that in that family. I think there's plenty to be excited for for Harvard. It's just I think this is a really fascinating. Uh, transition transition opportunity for them. And oh, by the way, if if we're thinking of early games to uh, to keep your eyes on, I kind of overlooked one uh, one game in November on the twenty fourth at Madison Square Garden against Cornell. Which, if you want to play big time hockey, go play it at Madison Square Garden. And that Harvard Cornell rivalry is a special thing. So uh, maybe I should point out uh, just a few other things that will make their schedule a bit tough as well. I think that Cornell game being one of the premier attractions of the Harvard schedule. It's going to be one of the premier attractions of the early schedule because you hinted at it there. That's one of the best rivalries in college hockey. And it's one of the ones that I like to explain to people who aren't that necessarily into college hockey is what makes it unique and what makes the rivalries different. Harvard and Yale both play in the same conference and they play each other regularly and both of them have very good programs, but Harvard's real traditional hockey rival is always going to be Cornell. It's just, they have this history between the two schools and on the ice, it's really like nothing else. It's the premier rivalry, I think in that conference. And that's saying something because the ECAC has a lot of them. It has a lot of old rivalries. It has a lot of tradition. I mean, some newer rivalries as well. Yale and Quinnipiac are right on opposite ends of Whitney Avenue, and they don't exactly get along that uh, that particularly well. St. Lawrence and uh, and Clarkson have some pretty good history back and forth with each other. Um, uh, Union and RPI have some pretty good history, but really the the history of the conference i should say and i should say this includes the entire history of the conference because before some of the boston schools and some of the other new england schools spun off into their own conference in hockey east uh cornell and harvard were warring against each other cornell's biggest rivalry in the 60s and through a lot of the 70s was bu but cornell and harvard was always there and after bu and bc spun off their own thing Harvard became the the biggest rival by far for uh, for Cornell, and really still is. Cornell fans will still travel to uh, to Bright Landry and make their presence known very very well. So uh, just keep your attention for uh, for that game on the uh, on the on the ECAC schedule at Madison Square Garden. And, and and not only not only a lot of history, a lot of recent history. They had some great games as late as last year that were some of the best games in college hockey last year. 
Oh, yeah. Uh, last second goal up at line of rink and a hat trick for uh, Anthony Angelo and a shutout for Matt Galeda um, in uh, in Bright Landry when the Cornell crowd showed up in a gigantic way. So, yeah, they're going to they're going to have continuing rivalries and beefs going on for a while. And they met in the uh, in the ECAC title game uh, in 2017, I think, and. It wasn't the tightest of games, but still, these teams are playing in championship-level games, and there's not a lot of love lost between them, and players have made that known. It's like BUBC. The players fully understand exactly what they're stepping into, and they know that the older guys are probably going to mix it up with each other at a few points throughout the game. Just That's the way a good rivalry should work, I think. Speaking of Yale and Quinnipiac, they play each other February 8th at Quinnipiac, and then they finish the season on March 2nd, Quinnipiac at Yale. These are two teams that they're they're not necessarily going to be contending for the ECAC this year, but that's going to be a fun way to finish the season between Yale and Quinnipiac, two schools that are extremely close to each other and because the ECAC isn't just the Ivy League schools it gives these two schools an opportunity to go at it against each other every year twice a year and it's those are those are a lot of fun as well and might hold some late season someone's trying to get positioning into a conference tournament and maybe pull an upset or two at the end of the season on March 2nd. It's certainly possible. Uh, it's certainly possible that there will be uh, late season intrigue. I absolutely believe that uh, these two teams will, like, will love to tear each other apart. As for the possibility of them not, probably not going to contend that much, I'll definitely say that about Yale. Uh, I just don't see the depth. And for their their special teams last year, for their power play, I think they were 50s seventh out of 60 on their power player something really really low so if they turn their special teams around then i think they could contend but i think they could uh, make some noise but i'll agree with you on yale as it pertains to quinnipiac let's take a minute and note something last season they finished one game uh under 500 or they finished excuse me they finished two games under 500 16 18 and four overall that is their first losing season since becoming a Division I hockey team. They haven't won a national championship. In fact, they can, they can kind of blame Yale for, uh, for not having a national championship, which is, I think, one of the big reasons why there is such a great level of disdain from Quinnipiac towards Yale, because that was their... That was their best opportunity to go ahead and win a national championship back in 2013, and they uh, the the Bulldogs took it away from them. Regardless, still, last season was the first time that they've ever finished under 500 since they turned uh, Division One, joining the MAC conference, the predecessor to Atlantic Hockey, in the 99-2000 season. That's a remarkable string of consistency by Rand Pechtold's team. And I still think that there's some real uh, talent on this team, at least when it comes to the defensive side. I just don't see the scorers 
I don't see I think they'll still be a pretty pretty good team. I think they can make some noise. I just I just want to see where the scoring is going to come from for the Bobcats. Yeah, and that's kind of where the ECAC being wide open comes into play is that I I might think of Quinnipiac as not one of the top teams in the conference, but they can still give anyone a run for their money. But I'm not sure we really talked enough about how good Cornell looks coming into this season. Um, Not to get too far afield. I just think that before we wrap up on the ECAC, we really should go with the highest ranked team, Cornell, who brings back sophomore goalie Matthew Goleida, who um, apologies, we had to spend most of last season figuring out how to pronounce his name, but it is Goleida, and he is maybe the best goalie in the East, maybe the best goalie in the country, and that's going to be a good way to lead your team. They're going to bring back quite a few players that were really good, but bringing back Goleida is, that makes them contenders instantly. Well, for safe percentage last season, the two players who led uh, college hockey were Kale Morris of Notre Dame, who won the Mike Richter Award, and Colton Point was a first-round draft pick of the Dallas Stars. Those two had a 944 save percentage. Goleida was third with a 939. He also had the most shutouts with nine. And by the way, played fewer games. He only played 29 because of the, the whole uh, – uh, the whole Ivy League thing, and also had a 151 goals against average. It is worth noting that Goleida did appear to tire as the season went on last year because college hockey is a grind, and you get burned out as a freshman when you're going through it. And that was a very, very young big red team that Cornell has uh, had last year. I think they had 11 or 10 uh, to, yeah, 10 or 11 freshmen on that team last year, including Goleida. So that team grew up with him, and I think Mike Schaefer did a very good job uh, to, to bring them along and to help them really hit some, uh, hit some potential and hit some opportunities. So I just wonder how they brought most of that freshman class back, including Goleida in net, who will definitely give Ottinger and Wool and uh, a run for their money in the East as the best goaltender possibly, and Kylie uh, in the ECAC as well. And uh, I still think Kale Morris is probably the best goaltender in the nation, but as for last season, and uh, we're uh, moving on to this year, it's a really interesting unit that they've got coming back because it's mostly the same. A few changes. Their captain from last year is uh, is gone for this uh, this new year, but most of last year's freshman class is back. Tristan Mullen and Morgan Barron are the uh, are two guys I think to pay attention to. And there's there's a lot of really interesting talent, and it works nicely together. I just wonder if they have the stamina to last the whole season because when they got Princeton in Lake Placid, I think they were tired, and I think that was a bad matchup for them because Princeton could play a track meet style. And I wonder if Cornell will uh, will have the stamina to last the season this year. And with a conference that's this tight and tightly knit at the top, especially if it's not necessarily a building on last year for Cornell or Cornell, and it's not necessarily 
a banner year for Princeton. You know who else I think could make a run? I don't hear them as often as Dartmouth, who's become, as you mentioned, a a frequent upset pick in the ECAC. But I really like the team unions bringing in for this season. They always seem to find a few players that can lead almost any team in the country. And I think look out for the Dutchman, especially if this ends up being in a, a particularly tight conference. This is a team that could stand out. Hmm. I see your point, especially when uh, you consider the coaching staff that they've got leading that group. Rick Bennett, who, by the way, was floated as a potential to fill in for the BU job, uh, has made that program, I should say, succeeded Nate Lehman in a beautiful way out there and won the first and so far uh, only national championship in uh, in the history of that program. But what a job he has done. Um, I think Jake... I could see them making some noise. I think Jake Jake Cupsby, Jake Cupsky, sorry, that name is a bit of a tongue twister. He's a senior and six four in net. I think I could definitely see him uh, making some noise. I think Brett's uh, Brett Sapinski and Brendan Taylor, Greg Campbell are quality uh, quality veteran players. Uh, Sebastian Vidmar. The last remaining members of that 2014 national championship team have graduated and have moved on to bigger things, but this is, it's a stable program. It is a known entity within the conference. I think people might be a bit more excited for Dartmouth because they're a bit of an unknown entity in the sense of we haven't seen them hit their highest point. I think there's a part of us that does want to see the underdog make it through. And I don't know if we view Union as the underdog anymore. Because when they won their national championship in 2014, they beat BC in the first game of the Frozen Four, and they beat Minnesota in the national championship game. Union's not an underdog program with their recent history and how they dominated the conference for this decade. So yeah, in 2016 and 17, they had a an extremely potent scoring team that I, I remember they had Spencer Fu then, and now they've got his his brother Parker Fu, who could have a a great year in their. But you're right, they recruit too well to be seen as an underdog, and they've had too much recent success to be seen as an underdog. I just think that in an open conference, you hear a lot about pretty much each of these teams and rightly so because they've all done so many things that can make the case for how good they've been but we tend to forget a little bit about union in recent years when looking at the ECAC because in you know the last few years Harvard with Ryan Donato has been a terrifying team that could win the national championship and of course Cornell looks like they might be that kind of a team again this year they look like it last year as well and all the upsets that happened toward the end of last season and throughout the ECAC playoffs that was that that's become a wild conference in general and it it became to the point where I think people are a little bit overlooking Union this year that they're one of those teams that's going to be trading punches with everybody else too definitely it's uh it's one of the fun things about this conference is that it's a deep and very entertaining uh, thing. I paid attention to uh, the tournaments that these guys put on last year, and it was a show. It, it was a real show. Princeton was the seventh seed 
in last season's uh, in last season's uh, ECAC tournament, and they ended up going on a crazy upset run. It's it's an open conference, and I could list off the uh, I I could take a look at some of these top uh, top uh, top ECAC units, and just I could make you could make a convincing case for Cornell, Princeton, Harvard, uh, Union, and any one of those schools, and a couple other ones. I think you could make a convincing argument that they could win the conference. I think that's a sign of a very healthy conference when a bunch of your teams can win it it's a fun and entertaining uh, opportunity to get to see what what'll happen this year and now shifting over to hockey east which i don't know if deep conference is necessarily the way to say it because we've certainly seen this conference look like the best in the country at times which I don't think anyone would accuse it of this year, but this is a conference that good luck handicapping hockey East coming into this season. There's so much transition for so many teams that I don't have any real grasp on who I would say coming in as the favorite and who I would say coming in doesn't have much of a chance. I think it's going to be a rough year for Merrimack, but beyond that, Hockey East is going to be a shootout this season. Definitely agree with that. Um, There are, I'd say there's a trio of teams that people are generally putting at the top of, uh, of expectations. And you could throw these, these three teams around and just then just pick one of them at random. And you probably wouldn't be that wrong for, uh, for making the choice. Uh, so the three teams would be Boston University, Boston College, and Providence. Three of the four teams that were uh, that were in the Hockey East Final Four at the TD Garden last year. I full disclosure, uh, I was one of the guys who voted in the Hockey East media poll. I gave my first place vote to BU. I think I was one of two guys who gave one. My second place team was Providence. My third place team was BC. You can make a convincing case for any one of those three being anywhere in the top in the top uh, bits and then you're leaving out the fact that northeastern still has some really good returning pieces including a quality goaltender in uh in oh my god i feel feel dumb for blanking on his name right now uh you're gonna remind me of it of it in just a second i'm gonna kick myself for forgetting primo right right i'm sorry for caden primo who stepped in in a big way last season after Ruck went down with uh, with with a concussion and was never quite the same afterwards, and All American defenseman Jeremy Davies, he's a uh, there are big pieces coming back for them. Maine has some interesting pieces, particularly with Swayman and uh, uh, back in that for them. And then there's the new kid on the block in UMass Amherst, which I think is a team to pay attention to because Kale McCarr is a special, special skater and a special defenseman in this sport and could be a program-defining player for a team that hasn't really had one since Jonathan Quick played there. And I genuinely believe that uh, that he could turn that program into a force to be reckoned with in this conference. There's 
plenty of interesting stories to take a look at here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think we can, we'll go ahead and start with the Massachusetts Amherst Minutemen and their ability to possibly be the surprise team of the conference. Now, I know you love the work that they've been doing there under Greg Carvel. I do. I actually, I got to interview him over the off season and I did a preview piece, which is I think one of my longer uh, pieces that I've done uh, for them. I just, Carvel is a different style of coach than what I think most people would think of for a hockey coach. He's not a screamer. He's not a yeller. He's not a domineering presence. He just looks and sounds like a normal guy at first glance, but, and he kind of speaks in this low rumble where, you know, it's a little bit like Bill Belichick and it's a little bit, uh, it's a little bit like just calm down in just the way that he talks. But, and when he gets angry, he's not yelly, but when he gets angry, you know it and you feel as though you are the size of a pin. It's a remarkable ability that he has to be able to communicate with these guys. He turned uh, he turned St. Lawrence into a regular competitor. He took them to consecutive ECAC Final Fours. And, <clears throat> excuse me a sec, I think he just has more resources to work with uh, at UMass. I mean, Makar is a fourth overall pick in, uh, in the NHL draft from the 2017 draft. And Mario Ferraro was a second rounder by the Sharks. Um, so he's got talent to work with. And he turned a team that lost 17 consecutive games at the end of the 16-17 season into full sold-out Mullen Center for the playoffs. It's a remarkable turnaround job, and it's a competitive unit. I'd pay attention to, uh, to what Carvel could do. So long as they sort out their goaltending situation, which Matt Murray, not not the Penguins Matt Murray, the uh, the uh, the Minutemen, Matt Murray, will be the likely starter. Got a new kid from Finland named Philip Lindbergh who played in the summer showcase in the World Juniors this summer who looked pretty promising. He was actually a very late arrival, but he looks promising for uh, for potential guys as well. Brad Arvanitas, quality goaltender as well, who got some good time, who will give some competition. But I think they have the pieces to make some noise, and it's a good thing because that program was a ghost town for a while we're gonna see what they're made of very early on on october 19th and 20th this might be the most brutal early season road game any hockey East team is gonna have to face they're on the road at ohio state on the 19th and 20th that's the second weekend of their season they start out on 12th and 13th, home and home against Rensselaer, and then they go to Ohio State. Ohio State in the preseason poll from USCHO, they're ranked third in the country. They're one of the picks to go very deep in the national tournament when we're making these preseason picks. That's going to be a real tough test for Massachusetts Amherst and if they can make if they can make those games close I think you might be on to something 
It's worth noting that uh, these te- those same teams, the Buckeyes and Minutemen, played in Amherst last season, about the same time in the season, actually. Those games were the 20th and 21st on the weekend series uh, at the Mullen Center, and they were decided by a score of 3-1 to and 3 nothing. both games going the way of the Buckeyes. And I think there were... I think there were some uh, empty net goals. I'm trying to pull up the box scores here if uh, if the internet will agree with me. Um, okay, so no empty netters in, uh, in either of the games, but still, they were close games, and uh, they held their own by and large. And that was a point when the Minutemen, I think, kind of didn't know exactly what they were or exactly what the talent they had was, but... They've held their own against uh, against quality opponents. They knocked off Providence in uh, in a pretty close game. They beat Union up uh, up at Union, and they held their own against Northeastern and the NBC and the the top teams in Hockey East. So they've done it before. It's just you're right. It's the early transition that uh, that they'll have to have. They start with a home and home against Rensselaer. And after that Ohio State series, they have a home-and-home with Merrimack, which, full disclosure, I did believe that Merrimack will end up finishing last in the uh, in Hockey East. I just think that there were so many pieces that uh, transitioned, and I don't think that the, the athletic department handled that those transitions all that well. Still, don't overlook going into, into Lawler Arena. That's a brutal place to go play a hockey game. And so I think UMass will have plenty of early tests early on. Oh, and by the way, then you also have uh, a, a November matchup against Providence, which will provide another test as well in case you need more of them. Yeah, they're going to get thrown into the fire early, and we'll see just what kind of upset potential the Minutemen truly have in that October and November schedule. They also, they're at home for Princeton on November 24th, so it's it's not necessarily the optimal start, but for a lot of teams, it actually is. A lot of teams really want to come out and test themselves against the best. This is something that at BC, Jerry York certainly believes in, and at Boston College, it also kind of undermined their season last year. Yeah, a, uh, they. I mean, the last two years, I don't think they've gotten an out-of-conference victory in a long time now. I think uh, I'm pulling up their schedule from because they didn't win a single out. Yeah, so okay, their last out of conference victory against any team in the nation who is not in Hockey East and not in the Bean Pot because they they also haven't won a Bean Pot game since winning the Bean Pot championship in 2016. That's a long time for them. Their last out of conference victory, November the 13th of 2016 three to one against arizona state that is galling they i maintain that if they would have won one or two non-conference games more than what they did in each of the last two seasons they'd have been in the ncaa tournament they've they've been in first place or at least tied for first place in points in hockey east each the last two years they missed the they missed the tournament because they didn't handle their business out of the conference. It's an aggressive schedule by the Eagles, and I respect Jerry York all the while for it, but they have enough talent that they should not be struggling out of conference as much as they are. 
Well, it's considerably less aggressive this year. They start out at Wisconsin on October 12th and 13th. That's not the easiest of matchups, especially on the road, but they should be able to win at least one of those games. They're at Quinnipiac on the 19th. Then they have a real tough one at home for St. Cloud State on the 25th. Later on in the season, they play Bentley in a non-conference matchup on November 23rd. That's, of course, local rivals, teams just west of Boston. So there's that. And then, of course, they go down to Arizona State on January 4th and 5th. So they seem to have loaded themselves up with non-conference games they should win. But then even so, they still play St. Cloud State at home and they're at Notre Dame on New Year's Eve, January th- or <laughs> New Year's Eve, December 31st. They will be at Notre Dame for what should be a fantastic matchup. I was about to say I thought you had skipped over the Notre Dame matchup, but that's the that's one of the uh, premier Christmas time matchups and it's nice to see that the good Catholics are going to war with each other on ice. It's it's beautiful to get to watch uh, watch all that madness ensue. As as a practicing Catholic myself, it's very nice to see infighting within the church. So <laughs> it's a good one for history majors because that's about half of European history right there. Indeed. Uh, oh, I, I love making these kinds of jokes. Anyway, so I just. BC has so much talent that they shouldn't be struggling as much as they have out of conference. And if we're thinking of players to pay attention for this season for Hockey East players, Logan Hutsko has the chance to be a superstar this upcoming season. He took a little bit to get into his skates last year, but wow, 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 did he fill did he uh fill in his his role late with 31 points uh he was he was one of the leading scorers in the conference he was the best one of the best freshmen in the conference he is a remarkable skater from your homeland of tampa so if we're just thinking of uh, players to pay attention to at the top of hockey east him and joseph wool their goaltender are the two guys that i just think bc and i'm a bu guy so i'm not a full disclosure i'm not a big bc fan but they it's a frustrating team because they should have a better record because of their talent i, I get frustrated I agree with you on that and and that that team should be fantastic this year with Wall and net and with with hutsko leading the way in, in with their skaters and of course that's he was a freshman last year and he had a breakout season and one more season under Jerry York's only going to make him better so look out for Logan Hutsko out of Tampa as you mentioned for for Boston College but they're not in in, in the early polls they're not at the top that would be Providence who's getting who is number five in the preseason um, USCHO poll, and that is going to be as as we become accustomed to in hockey East. That's going to be yet another dangerous Providence team. Yeah, um, winning that 2015 national championship game turned that program into one to be feared. It was one to be respected before, but Nate Lehman winning that championship game in 2015 was one to be turned him 
and uh, helped turn that program into one to be feared. Just it's they've managed to pull in some big time recruits. They have the best named player in the sport playing goal for them, Hayden Hockey. And their their recruiting ability with just their freshmen that they pulled in this season, they've got uh, a couple draft picks. Michael Callahan from Franklin, Mass., who was a fifth-round pick of uh, Arizona. Um, uh, uh, they've got Jay O'Brien, who I think is the – uh, for guys drafted, he was picked 19th overall in the first round by uh, by the Flyers. And if you're just thinking of guys to pay attention to scoring-wise, here's numbers uh, from his time playing at the Thayer Academy, which is uh, Massachusetts High School. It is a uh, it, it it is a fabulous fabulous hockey program, and Massachusetts High School hockey is a not small uh, a not small thing. He played 30 games for Thayer. He scored 43 goals and 37 assists for 80 points in 30 games. This guy is a this guy is a quality, quality player. And he's joining other guys who are, you know, Casper Bjorkwist was a was a second round pick of the Penguins, and he's still putting on a good show. Jacob Bright Bryson on the blue line, fourth rounder of uh, of the Sabres. Brandon Duhane from Parkland, Florida, fourth round of of the Wild, and maybe one guy also to pay attention to, uh, Luke Perunovic. If you remember, if you uh, hear his last name, yeah, his brother Scotty Perunovic is one of the star defensemen at Minnesota Duluth, and they managed to pull in Providence managed to pull in this kind of talent, winning one of those big games is enough to turn your program into a threat. And Providence is absolutely a threat. They also have, you'll get a lot of chances to see them if you watch, well, the top teams in college hockey this season, because right away they get the Icebreaker Classic. They actually start this weekend against American International at home, but then they get the Icebreaker Classic. They're against Miami in the first round of that. They have the potential to play Notre Dame on October 13th, Providence versus Notre Dame. How about that to get the hockey season just underway? It'll be a week old, and that will really kick it into high gear if those two teams meet up. That would be a great matchup. On October 26th, Providence goes to Aganis Arena. They'll play a Boston University team. I'm sure we're going to talk about a lot in just a little bit that's transitioning to a new coach, Albie O'Connell, but is still bringing back just talent on top of talent. And on November 23rd and 24th, Providence will be on the road at Denver. So Providence in the 2018 part of the 2018-2019 season might just be the most fun team to watch because it seems like they're always playing one of the best teams in the country. And when they're not playing the uh, when they're not playing the top tier level teams, the other hockey East schools are going to be gunning for them. Home and homes with UMass Amherst on the uh, November eighth, Thursday, and tenth, Saturday. Home and home with Merrimack because don't go into don't go into Lawler Arena with uh, with a winning streak. You'll probably lose it. Uh, UNH as well. 
the mayor's cup matchup against Brown, which is always a good time for rivalries within the city. And then all the wars between, between them and the Boston schools that includes BU, BC, and your beloved Northeastern. This is a very difficult schedule that the Friars have put together for themselves. And uh, I think, I think last year I regarded them as a team with top level talent on their on their front scoring line, but I didn't think they had the depth to, uh, to uh, ultimately pull off that much noise. And I think I underrated them a lot uh, last season. I, I, they ultimately fell short in both the Hockey East Championship game, 2 nothing to BU, and in the uh, regional final against Notre Dame, they lost 2-1 uh, to one barely and narrowly late. But... I see a lot more depth with the uh, with the freshman recruits on this on this Providence team. They're going to be really really good to watch. I hope that I hope Schneider sells out Arena sells out for every single game because that's on paper at least that's a good enough team to make a lot of noise. Yeah, I think they they are regarded by a lot of people as the favorites in hockey's coming into the season, and you can see why they have a loaded lo- roster. They were great last year. They've really got a program going there in Providence. And, you know, it's another one of those conferences with co-favorites. We touched on BC. We touched on Providence. And then there's BU. Probably in the last few years, one of the most enigmatic teams in college hockey because they always come in with a roster that looks like they're just going to blow everybody out of the water. They're always loaded with talent that's – already halfway to the NHL, but they also, they didn't necessarily always perform up to their talent under David Quinn, who left somewhat surprisingly to take the job with the New York Rangers. And now it's Albie O'Connell's time. He really put in his time. He earned the head coaching position. And this is a new era for the Boston University Terriers But, of course, there is no such thing as a new era with these Blue Blood programs. They just really, I'm sure what most people at BU are thinking is, can they get back to the era before David Quinn when they were winning all the time? I mean, they won a whole bunch under David Quinn as well. They were only under 500 once, and that was his first year. So I'll I'll cut him some slack on on him there, but – it's it's a really interesting personality change from Quinn to O'Connell because David Quinn was kind of a socialite. Uh, he, in the sense of he was outgoing, he was personable, he was witty, he quipped, and he was a talker, but you knew that he was a hockey guy through and through. He would run his guys, and uh, he was a uh, he, he's what you think of when you think of a hockey coach. I think he'll do well with the Rangers. He will blend in perfectly with them. Albie is a little bit more subdued until you hit the ice, and then he's a little bit of a maniac. He's the epitome of a Boston rink rat. For one, the name sounds perfect. And with coaches Parker and Umili now retired, Albie has a very subtle, or I think it's comparatively subtle, Boston accent, but it's there. And it sounds great, and uh, there's plenty to uh, there's plenty to be uh, you know to to be a part of there. He, I think he played- we're here for a second. We just have to derail for just a second and talk about 
one of my favorite things, the Hockey East Accent Championship, which was dominated for so long by Dick Umilly. And of course, Jerry York has a good classic Boston area accent as well. But I think another strong contender, especially now with Umilly out, is you got to love Norm Bazin's Canadian accent. You can almost hear maple syrup. I'll definitely go along with that whole deal. Uh, ba- yeah, I can definitely see Bazin. Scott Borick, I think, has a little bit of an underrated voice uh, up at Merrimack. It's it's a shame that Dennehy is no longer holding down that job because he was in the uh, in the dark horse contender race. Uh, so it's a it's a fun time getting to listen to these coaches in press conferences. If you love the way that Massachusetts people talk, it's it's a great time. Albie will be uh, one of the leading contenders this year in your accent race. Yeah, I'm looking forward to to hearing Albie and hearing his, as you said, subtle accent, because those are always sometimes the best. It, those tend to be the ones where they, they don't just drop the R's, they just misplace them, they move them to other words. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a weird accent, because it's some some weird amalgamation of an old time British accent with country speak. That's been a little bit like 1700s American country speak. That's been updated, updated. I put in air quotes to, uh, to the 21st century a little bit while still being this archaic remnant of uh, America's history, which actually that's what, that's what it is. A light Boston accent is something close to what people talked like and sounded like in the colonial days uh, here. So just in the, just in the, you know, that's what a Boston accent is. Vermont's kind of similar as well. Northern New Hampshire, Northern Maine's a little bit like that as well. Like uh, the, the, that molded New England accent. That's what it is historically. So it's just a fun little thing to, uh, to get to know. Albie has that and Albie's a Boston guy through and through. So I think he's perfect for BU. And the Terriers, of course, once again, have a loaded lineup. Still star-studded from from having such great recruiting. Well, they've always had great recruiting, but I, I think it almost went into another gear under David Quinn, and they still have a lot of the fruits of that. And they're going to continue, of course, to draw the the best high school players from the area and often beyond. Well, keep in mind also that for this most recent crop of recruiting, that's a lot of Albi laying the groundwork and him leading the charge on getting these guys in. There's one story that uh, will annoy you as a Northeastern fan, but Albi O'Connell was a Northeastern assistant coach, and he originally got Johnny Gaudreau to commit to Northeastern. Uh, however, Gaudreau ended up decommitting from Northeastern because Albie left and ended up going over to coach at Harvard. You couldn't follow him over there because, uh, well, Harvard doesn't give scholarships or anything like that uh, for any of their stuff. Ivy League schools don't give scholarships. So he ended up deciding that he would end up committing to BC afterwards. And it really was. I I wonder if if O'Connell had gone to be an assistant at BU 
or at Providence or some other place where Gaudreau would have gone. But that's the kind of talent that he's been able to recruit, and now he's running the show. Quinn did a lot in the recruiting game as well, but O'Connell was some of the heart that made it run. And this team, in a lot of ways, is Albie's work. Uh, Chris and Chad Chris and Logan Cockrell and Jake Wise from the freshman class and Shane Bowers, who if you're looking for dark horse candidates to make it to the uh, the top players of Hockey East, number 15 of the Terriers, Shane Bowers, is a really, really good player to pay attention to. And I would uh, point your direction as well to Dante Fabro, who's wearing a letter. And if I may, there's one difference between this Terrier team and others. They have, uh, we've called them a young team for a while for how many freshmen that they've played. I think they have some actual uh, development and some consistency with a few more players staying on from last season into this year, just at, except the top line with Tuchuk going to the Senators, um, Melanson graduating and going to the pros because he was a grad transfer and Greenway going to the wild. But by and large, a lot of the forwards are back. And most importantly, Jake Ottinger's back for another year. So they actually have some consistency, which I feel like they've lacked a little bit in recent years. They'll be formidable under O'Connell, and I think that was the right choice for their program. That's the kind of guy that can go in and and both continue what had been happening and going so well in recent years while also getting back to the program's roots and have what I believe you called last year more of a sense of the program itself. So I, I think that's going to start being installed more and more at BU, and it's going to just get them back to more where they believe to be their rightful place. So they're going to be a tough team this year, and they're toward the top of Hockey East, and they're a team in transition, but as you mentioned, not a whole lot of transition. I mean, there's enough that uh, it's it's meaningful. Their Their top line from last season of Greenway centering to Chuck and Melanson was a, was a gigantic part of their success, but replacing your top line is always an important thing, but bringing back Bobo Carpenter, bringing back Shane Bowers, bringing back Dante Fabro, and hopefully Patrick Harper, who was knocked out of the season in the middle of it for, I think, some illness. I never uh, learned exactly what it was that Harper ended up missing the end of the season with but there's some big and important pieces returning to this team but Jake Ottinger is the biggest piece that's returning he was the MVP of the Hockey East tournament last year on what was BU was for maybe the first time in their existence an underdog team because they were the fourth seed and once they got down they had a 3 nothing loss to Maine last year in which they just got embarrassed, and it was worse than 3 to nothing. and it looked like they were left for dead, and then they started turning their season around. But after that, first time in their lives, they were underdogs. That includes that Beanpot final, which they lost to your guys over at Northeastern, where I maintain BU was the underdogs for that, for that, for that time. It was weird getting to watch the Terriers as an underdog unit. 
at, at that tournament, I think it was a little different just because of all the history going into it that until they won one like they did, Northeastern, I don't think, could possibly be considered a favorite in that tournament. They had to live with all that as well, and that was hanging over their team. But your point is well taken. They, they surprised a lot of teams in that Hockey East tournament, and bringing so many of those players back in – in a way that they hadn't in recent years is going to energize them. And it had better because their regular season starts at Mankato. That's a tough one. And these teams played at Aganis last year and BU got smacked around by the Mavericks and by their former goaltender, Connor LeCouve, who transferred out to uh, Mankato for his final season and, uh, the scores in the two games last year were six to three and three to nothing, both going towards the Mavericks. So that's a bad matchup for them, or at least it was last year. I don't know exactly how it'll pan out. I've, I think I've also been a little bit critical of, uh, I, I just don't see uh, Mankato being quite as good this year. They were last, but it's a really interesting start. They play an exhibition game against Acadia. They play two games against Mankato in Mankato. Then the 19th, they host the U.S. under-18 team, which I think they're going to have some of their team playing on the on the U.S. under-18s, which is going to be strange. And then the next night, they're going off to Merrimack. They don't play a home regular season game until October the 26th against Providence. And by the way, your first game is against Providence, and then the next week – probably the most anticipated series of the early going home and home with Northeastern. That's a very strange schedule to, uh, to open up with, but a worthy challenge, I think for BU to try and match. Yeah. It's one of those. It almost looks more like what we're used to seeing out of Boston college, where if you're contenders, you'll prove it right away. And that's the feeling of everything. I, I think BU, if they really are as good as people think they might be, will see it right away. And that's that's an exciting thing early on in the season because you don't always get that early on in the season. You might take a non-conference schedule that doesn't have a lot of numbers on it. And by the way, one other thing that we forgot to note when talking about the ECAC, BU is taking part in the friendship four out in Belfast. So they just have, they have to deal with a bit more travel. I don't think anyone in hockey East has, will have to deal with as much as Yukon, who is the other, is the other hockey East team going to Belfast. And then the Huskies also are playing a tournament in Las Vegas over Christmas time. So in one year, they're doing all their regular travel, plus a trip to Northern Ireland over Thanksgiving and plus a trip to Las Vegas over uh, over the New Year's time. I don't think any team has as much travel as uh, as Mike Cavanaugh's UConn Huskies, but BU will have to play will have to play UConn their first game in Northern Ireland, and that's a tight matchup for them as always. And then Yale and Yale or Union in the second game, and either one of those would be a really fun matchup. But Union, I think, would match up very well with them. So it's a the first half is a very interesting schedule, but particularly. Uh, I think we'll say more things about it when we get there. But the Friendship 4 out in Belfast has been a smashing success, and whoever came up with that idea should get a gigantic pay raise. 
it's one of the best things about the hockey East and ECAC schedules. I feel. Yeah. It's a great way to, to signal kind of the transition to the middle of the hockey season where, where games become more and more important as the season goes on. And it's, it's a great way to usher in the tournament season because while there might not be as many mid season tournaments as we'd like, as you heard a few weeks ago on this podcast, they mostly take place right around starting with the friendship four. And then kind of after that, they really start to ramp up all the way through the bean pot. So that's when the, that's when the regional tournaments and when the yearly tournaments start to really kick in is right around the friendship four, which has been a tremendous success. And you mentioned Connecticut, that's a good place to pivot and talk a little bit about them because the same way that the university of Massachusetts Amherst might surprise people and turn a few heads. Don't forget about that ice bus. They're going to log log a lot of miles this year in Connecticut, but Mike Cavanaugh has that team in the right direction. Absolutely. It, there was uh, there were a few players who departed, particularly Max Latunov, who was one of the best players. David Quinn said of him after uh, a tight series against uh, against the Huskies, in which BU won both games by one goal. First one was an overtime winner, in which he didn't feel BU played very well, and he was right. But they still ended up winning because they had the talent. The second game was a two to one defensive grinder, in which. Jay Gottinger made 37 saves. He noted that whenever Maxim Latunov touched the puck, he felt like it was going to end up in the back of his net because he's that good. He left, and I asked Kavanaugh about it because losing a player like that for a team this young in Hockey East normally should be a little bit of a death knell for you, but he didn't even flinch when I asked him about it at media day. He just said, oh, yeah, I knew he was going. And really, that's part of what we want to do we want people like him to go and be when they're ready to go to go and have a successful run and to his undying credit he uh he's had a pretty successful start to his professional career but there's plenty of talent coming back particularly huska adam huska who by the way adam huska as the starting goaltender for the huskies it's perfect it's almost as perfect as hayden hockey playing this sport in providence so uh they brought in some good talent and they brought in a lot of international talent as well. Uh, some guys from the Czech Republic. They brought in some other guys from Russia. Uh, of course, you've still got your mix of uh, Minnesota kids and, uh, and Maine guys and uh, other New England players. But this is a team that really does have an international flavor to it in its recruiting pool, that Kavanaugh's being very aggressive in where he's getting his guys from. Well, and you have to be, when you're not a traditional power, the traditional recruiting beds will dry up after a while. So you have to look for talent elsewhere sometimes. And that's an interesting tack to take for Connecticut. So I think it could really pay off. They'll be one of those mid-conference teams that could scare anybody from week to week. And if it is, in fact, a down conference, as some people believe it might be this year, you know, look out for Connecticut. They're, I again, I would pile them in with the Minutemen as one of those potential surprise teams in the conference 
behind the top five because, of course, they're your three co-favorites, then Northeastern right behind them, and Maine right there with Northeastern. It looks like one of the one of the old powers of college hockey could be returning toward the top in Maine. I mean, I would be surprised if the Black Bears were to uh, were to take anything of a step back, particularly with Red Gendron has his team going in absolutely the right direction, I feel like. Uh, and the coaches poll, um, and by the way, for just how tight these races are, for these, this is, these are just the results of the coaches poll. BC got five first place votes and 93 points overall. That's one point and one first place vote higher than Providence. BU is a little bit farther behind them. They got one first place vote. Northeastern got the remaining vote. Northeastern is only five points up uh, from uh, fourth place to fifth place over Maine. It was only five points up on uh, UMass Amherst. It was only four points up on Lowell. There's plenty of opportunity to show some uh, to show some skill, to show some upset. And I'm really intrigued to see what Jeremy Swayman does as the uh, in his second season as the main goaltender. He showed some real flashes of development and held his own in a postseason series one against UNH, which is always a fun rivalry series. But then he held his own very, very nicely against the uh, against the Friars last year. He played pretty decently. And, and by the way, if we want to talk about hard schedules to open up, Maine in their second weekend series is going to Duluth. And uh, and then they get a whole bunch of other Hockey East teams. So have fun, Black Bears. You're in for a good time, I think. Yeah, that's a, that's a wild schedule to take to start off with Minnesota Duluth so early. And that's going to be brutal for the Black Bears in that non-conference schedule. But they do look to be an improved team, and they look to be a contender in a pretty open hockey East where, you know, a couple of the predicted powers slip and suddenly Maine's right there. And I would throw in that category of teams that are just on the periphery. Now you have the Northeastern Huskies who are one of the, well, I would say they have one of the bigger variations in what people think of them coming into this season. Because as you mentioned in the coaches poll, they got a first place vote in hockey East, proving that yes, coaches can vote for their own team because as much as I like the Huskies, I'm just going to go ahead and bet that vote came from Jim Madigan. Uh, I couldn't figure out uh, who had that vote. Uh, I wouldn't put it past them to uh, to make it. And oh, by the way, you got to buy a new Northeastern jersey because they rebranded their uh, their Husky logo and redesigned their thing. It was joked that uh, there's no more Demon Husky with the red in its eyes. Now it's this regal and graceful looking uh, looking dog as their uh, as their logo. So just in the kind of fun things department, the Northeastern Athletic Department is doing their share to rebrand and improve that program, which also, by the way, includes a gigantic video scoreboard, which is uh, currently going up in Matthews, which they haven't been able to practice on the ice in Matthews. The Bruins have been nice enough to open up Warrior Ice Arena for the Huskies to practice over there. So 
just a little bit of a different offseason for the Huskies for some stuff off the ice. It's worth noting, I think. Yeah, and they, they also finally got rid of their multicolored N that just looked like somebody spilled some black paint on the Nebraska logo. That I, I, I was never a fan of the N, so I'm glad it's been replaced by, you know, a Husky since they're the Huskies, and that's a cool-looking dog, and it's it, it makes itself for an easy logo. So another fun thing about Northeastern and logos is Northeastern owns its own shade of red. The red in Northeastern's logo is known as Northeastern Red, and it's an actual color. And yeah, that's kind of what Northeastern does. They buy stuff. It is a business school after all, or it's best known for, uh, for its uh, business acumen. So uh, that, that, that part of it makes sense. So good on them for being able to buy stuff up and be pretty good at it. I, won- I don't think BU has done the same thing. I don't think. I, I just know that their shade of red is called Scarlet. So, uh, you know, for, for, for whatever it's worth, it's Scarlet and Red because someone wanted to make a Gone with the Wind reference. I think Northeastern having their own school name on their color is a little bit cooler, to be honest. But good on you guys down, uh, down on uh, St. Bodolf Street. Uh, well, like I said, it's what they do. They buy, they buy things up. I'm sure sometime this week someone has knocked on the door of the New England Conservatory of Music and said, hey, you for sale yet? <laughs> uh, I mean, I'm sure they have. Uh, I'm sure that they've said we kind of like operating independently, but uh, it's it's kitty corner. It feels like that conservatory is part of Northeastern. It's literally right across the street from Matthews Arena. It's yeah, just kind of, kind of yeah, a Boston like, thing. Yeah, it's right there, and in fact, it makes for an interesting atmosphere when you leave that game or you go in. You can hear people practicing in their dorm rooms with their instruments from the New England Conservatory. It's almost like you're hearing a different band of its own on your way into the building. So I always liked that. And you know, certainly if and when Northeastern does buy New England Conservatory, leave it about music because we all like that walk to and from Matthews. They're a team where their out-of-conference schedule with the exception of having to play St. Cloud State, they'll play them at Matthews Arena, but that's going to be a tough, tough matchup for the Huskies. They have a pretty favorable out-of-conference schedule. They start out the season October 12th and 13th. They're at Sacred Heart. Then they come home to play Union College. We discussed, I think Union's a pretty good team. That'll be a fun test. That should be games that Northeastern, if they are as good as their preseason ranking implies, they should be able to win those, but they'll be an interesting test. Then Northeastern goes on the road to Lowell before coming home for October 27th against St. Cloud State. And that's the beginning of a really telling three games because they play St. Cloud State at home. And then those rematches with Boston University where those games last year, were maybe the most the biggest tip off that Northeastern's program isn't the doormat that it used to be. When they played BU, they looked every bit like a school that belongs in that four-way rivalry they call Beanpot. And seeing them play BU again early in the season, that's going to tell us a lot about just how much transition the Huskies are in. And worth noting those wars that they played last year, and they that's what they were. They were wars disguised as hockey games. 
those were, I think they built upon the year prior, Northeastern played BU in a playoff series. And the way it ended, Coach Madigan walked into the press conference and uh, it was a one-minute press conference. It's the shortest one that I've heard since I've been in these. He walked in and he just said, hey, guys, I'm, I'm not going to take any questions because I'm going to say something really dumb and I'm going to be angry. And my mother told me if you don't have anything nice to say, then don't say it at all. But I'm simply going to say congratulations to BU. And there were a few calls that uh, should have gone our way. There was a penalty against them that wasn't called. And there was a uh, there was a missed hit against us that uh, that should have been called. And that changed it. So And he walked out in a storm of anger. He has a lot of – it almost feels like a personal rivalry with these guys at uh, at BU. It's pretty interesting to get to watch that dynamic a bit more, uh, more tightly as of late. So for whatever it's worth, these schools have a rivalry that's lasted a couple years. It came into real fruition last year when Northeastern was a terrible matchup for the Terriers. It's just a team that's in such big transition because it's almost impossible to replace a scoring line of Sikora, Gaudet, and Stevens, which was so completely dominant and had three players that are absolutely NHL or at least high-level professional players that are no longer playing for that school. It's just That's a hard transition to make, and I wonder – how successful they'll be or if they'll stumble in a few of these games in the early going, despite the real talent that they're returning in, uh, in net and Caden Primo and Jeremy Davies, all American defensemen that they're returning. Well, I think that's where if they're not going to stumble, and I actually do think that they're going to be a very good team this year. Now I might sound like a homer and I'm going to be a homer when I talk about this, but I think that there is a pattern developing here that every year it seems like now, of course, this is a lot more stark than others, but last year we came into the season wondering if they're going to miss Zach Aston Reese's scoring. They clearly didn't. Now he was a great player for them. He was a Hobie Baker finalist for them, but they went on and they were even better the next season. The year before that, we were wondering how they were going to replace Kevin Waugh, who that to that point was one of the best players Northeastern had ever had wear their uniforms. So this is three players instead of one. That's what makes it a lot different. But at the same time, if you're bringing back a defenseman, defense and the blue line were not always Northeastern's friend in recent years. And I think losing these scorers is going to allow them to concentrate a little more on preventing scoring from others. And that's where you get to the biggest asset. They have Caden Primo in net, but if they can be a better defensive team, I do expect that they're going to score a lot of goals because this is a Jim Madigan team. He finds goal scorers. They're not going to have the line they had last year by any stretch, and they're not going to run away with the national lead in scoring the way they did last year. But look out for, for example, forward Zach Solo, who was another one of the best freshmen in the conference last year playing for Northeastern on that second line. He's going to be extremely important to the Huskies' success. And by the way, another player from the West Coast of Florida, that one's from Naples. Yeah, I, there is plenty of talent coming back for uh, for the team. They'll find other scorers. It's 
always it's hard to find the top level generational scores that at the collegiate level Gaudet and Sikora were generational scores for the college level in which, in which they played in recently. Uh, it's easier to find very good scores, which you don't even you don't need to have one guy who can be a, who can be a dominant guy. You just need a few players who can be excellent, a few players who can chip in and can get important goals. And they do have some guys who can you know who can do that. And they're returning a pretty good blue line that uh, even without after Garrett Cockrell left to go play pros in the middle of the season last year, that blue line was still pretty good in part. Jeremy Davies is a remarkable player. Ryan Shea uh, had a great run as well. Colin Murphy joined a little bit later on and played very, very nicely. And uh, Eric Williams can cave your face in. So I think there's plenty of talent returning for Northeastern to be an interesting team. I just wonder if, they might struggle a little bit because when you lose your identity as a hockey team, that's a big transition to make. And I just wonder if they're at the end of October, a 500 hockey team. And if that's the worst thing that you could expect out of them, I think they're going to have a pretty good season, but I wouldn't be surprised if October and early November, they're still figuring out exactly what their new roles on the team are this year. And they're just a, a 500 team and people start to wonder they're not as good as we thought, and then they turn it on later. But that's what I would, if I were optimistic, I would expect something like that out of uh, out of the Huskies this year. Yeah, and I I do expect that they'll be among the contenders for the conference in general. I I think they're just going to be an extremely good team. And the thing that that leads me to believe there won't be as much transition as one might expect is. We talked earlier about coaches who have earned their shot, assistant coaches who have been around, excuse me, assistant coaches who have been around for a bit and just kind of earned a chance to lead a program. And Northeastern has one of those guys. Jerry Keefe, there's a reason Northeastern has maybe the best special teams unit in the country year in, year out. They are tough with the power play and they're, tough on the penalty kill this is a team that's really good on special teams and they retain that coach so it's going to be yet another year of if northeastern can play disciplined hockey there are going to be a lot of teams that make mistakes and just and have their lunch eaten by the huskies and that's going to be the hope for that program because they are going to have to find more depth than they had maybe last year with such a great top line they're going to need more performances from more players because they're not going to have that top line and that makes them a lot less dangerous out there on the ice at any given moment but that's going to be a team to be reckoned with and it's part of why i believe hockey east is going to be such a wild conference that you don't have a drop off there that there aren't you know this isn't a conference that has temporary programs anymore and I think we're going to see that. I, it, could any of these teams, you know, I, I could definitely see Northeastern not being what they were last year, but for them to win, they can't be what they were last year. I'll sign on for that. And I'll actually offer a little bit of um, uh, some optimism with some recent history. 
with one of the other Beanpot teams. Uh, Harvard, after the 2016 season, their two biggest scorers, or their two leading guys in, in uh, Kyle Criscolo and Jimmy Vesey, who won the Hobie Baker that year, uh, I think those two guys, they left at the same time to go play pros. They graduated the same year in 2016. A lot of people were wondering, well, where's the, where exactly is the scoring going to come from? Well, it turns out that those two were so dominant and so domineering for their team that they almost gave the cover for guys to say, we can leave the offense to them. We'll take care of everything else when they didn't keep up the offensive attack and didn't keep the pressure on. I wonder how many of the guys that played on uh, that played on the second line or the third line guys will get a promotion from the fourth line, like Austin Goldstein or uh, guys like Grant Joseph or Lincoln Griffin. I wonder how many of those guys uh, ever, not even consciously, not even did this willingly, but just subconsciously thought, we don't have to worry that much about the scoring wise uh, about handling and carrying and bearing the load because have you seen how good our top guys are? There's nowhere to hide. And now you've got to throw your all in onto it. And you could have a very, very good season with depth like no one else. Harvard that year behind Kerfoot and Donato and a number of other quality scorers won the ECAC and reached the Frozen Four and was a bounce, a board battle, and a terrible luck on placement of a puck off the bar from reaching the national championship game after losing to Duluth. So I could see something similar happening for Northeastern, the transition from Harvard's 16 to 17 season. I could see that happening for the transition from Northeastern's 18 to 19 season. They'll be they'll certainly be one of the teams in the East to watch just to see what they're like without that top unit. And as we mentioned, there's a lot of hockey East that is in to some degree. I don't know if transition's the right word, but they're not going to be the same teams. College sports, of course, there's always that turnover, but then you have coaching in some cases like BU and like UNH. You have just roster turnover where Northeastern's going to have to be a different team than they were last year to succeed and to thrive. And can they play like that? And we'll see that again. We'll see that pretty early on when they play St. Cloud State at Matthews Arena and then they go on to play BU in a home and home the next weekend. So these early season schedules that we look at, they're going to have one of the tougher ones in I just look at that conference and top to bottom, I don't know how much I like or dislike any of the teams. It really could be so often we look at hockey East in terms of who the top four teams are going to be because they get that bye week in the playoff and they don't have to deal with as many games, but it could be much deeper than even that this year between what you've said about Amherst and the Minutemen and what, there is in Connecticut and Maine's right there on the periphery. They're going to be a formidable school. And we don't know what to expect from a lot of the rest of that conference. Merrimack could be better or worse than we think. But as you mentioned, a lot of Hockey East regular season titles are won at Lawler Arena. 
Yeah, there's you always have to worry about where you're going to, especially since Scott Borak, when he walked in and had his opening press conference, was talking about his goal is to win a national championship at Merrimack. That's the kind of conference you're in where first day on the job, what's your goal? Trying to win a national championship. Merrimack has only been to the NCAA tournament twice, once in uh, the late 1980s when they were an independent team and once in 2011 when they played in their only, to this point at least, hockey's championship game and narrowly, narrowly lost BC that year and then lost heartbreakingly in overtime against Notre Dame. So it's a, that's the kind of, those are the kind of programs that, uh, uh, you know, that, that you're dealing with out here in, uh, in this conference. So you, you can't take any of these, uh, these opponents for, uh, for granted. It's a really, really interesting, uh, interesting unit. And UNH should be no slouch either. And by the way, if we want to talk about perfect coaching hires, Souza was the obvious choice to, to succeed Dick Humilly. Not replace him, because no one will ever replace him, but succeed him. And I think that he'll be I think he'll be great for that program. I think he'll be great for uh, for the Wildcats. So wrapping up, we are we're just days away from the first regular season games of the college hockey season. Chris Lynch of InsideHockey.com, where will you be to start the college hockey season? Well, um, as it stands right now, uh, my first regular season game covering will be on Sunday, The uh, uh, this upcoming Sunday when Merrimack plays the second game of their of their uh, their home and home series or their their two game series against Lake Superior State at four o'clock in North Andover. So that'll be October the seventh. I'll be in Amherst on Saturday covering a college football game for you guys at Sports Talk Florida with um uh, with USF paying a visit to them. I'll probably, in fact, I'll almost certainly stop by. Uh, the Mullins Center, and check out the exhibition game that the Minutemen will be playing against the Royal Military College of Canada and see how the Minutemen are looking early. I'll probably write a piece on them afterwards, but my first regular season hockey game of the college season will be on Sunday the 7th between Lake Superior State and Merrimack College. It should be a great start to the season For all you fans out there, best of luck to your teams, assuming your teams are not the Boston College Eagles. This has been the 2018-2019 season preview for Puck University. I'm your host, Tim Williams. Please follow us on Stitcher, iTunes, wherever it is you get your podcast. Please follow us there. We'll have new content hopefully every week throughout the college hockey season. We will be back next week to really get the season started in earnest. And as always, keep your head up and your heads clean. Lucky 
Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.